Hello, welcome to Bookworms. I'm your host, Alex. And I'm Joe. And this is the show where we read a book, and then we sit down together and we talk about the book that we just read. And this is a bonus episode. It's bonus bookworms, you lucky yeah. devils. Yeah, and we got a bonus person here today, someone new. Why don't you say hello? Hello. That is Adam for you, everyone. He's the one that suggested this book. It's a real piece of work. Yeah, yeah he, he gave us a real run for our money here. <laughs> and he didn't even read the book, did no, he? No, he didn't read the book. I do not want to be on this podcast right now. <laughs> so I'm not going to say very much. Just just give it an hour. You'll definitely won't be, want to be on this podcast. We'll edit all that out. <laughs> so yeah, Adam, what book did you pick for us? Well, Joe, I picked Hopscotch. I have no idea what this book is about. Ooh, you should read the back for us. No, I'm not reading the back, Alex. <laughs> I don't know. Someone from Argentina. Julio from Argentina. How do you say his last name? Assistance, please. <laughs> you stop laughing. It's uh, Hopscotch by Julio Cortazar. Yeah, Cortazar. That's it. So, um, about this book, I truly have no idea what it's about. I was out drinking in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and they have this lovely establishment called The Book Bar, and it is exactly as it sounds, a bar where you can buy books. So, I think that's where I came across this book. Again, I have no idea what it's about, so I thought it would be a good thing for my friends here at Bookworms to review without me. But they insisted that I be part of this. So I still haven't read the book. So they're just going to talk about it, and I'll chime in every now and then. And that's Adam. <laughs> so Adam, what, uh, what about this book made you think this would be a worthwhile uh, one to discuss? Watch out for the boom arm there. Well, Alex, I was drunk, and... I know a lot of these books exist, but for some reason at the time, I thought it was a very novel idea that you can read fun. it different ways. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was also fun. But yeah, I mean, a ton, tons of these books exist. <laughs> it is a very common style book <laughs> where you can read in different orders. But yeah, I was drinking, so I bought it. And um, now you guys are going to talk about it. So this book has multiple ways to read it as Adam mentioned. There is the straight through version, which is the way I read it, which meant I had to read 200 less pages than Alex. Yeah, the uh way I read it, you there's well the book's divided into three sections, and the third section, if you read the book from, you know, first page to last, you can skip the last section which is 200 pages and uh, just under 100 chapters of the book. If you read it the way I read it, you don't read it straight through. You bounce between the linear story and all these extra chapters that add extra nuance and plot points and a whole bunch of other knickknacks and doodads to go with the story. And what we're going to do is try to figure out how much more Alex got out of the story than I did. And then we'll both compare to what we got out of it compared to Adam. (laughs) Again, I did not read this book. <laughs> this was not my intention to be on this podcast. Oh, damn glad you're here. 
we read it for you, you can at least sit there and squirm. And for the listeners, we read it for you also. So <laughs> that's why this is a bonus and not just part of the normal podcast feed. If it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't have read this book. Me either. So how about you guys read the back of the book for everyone? Ready? Same time. Go. You don't even have the book in your hand. Here, I, I got it. I got it. Okay. I, don't, I struggle on his last name anyways. I just referred to him as Ollie when I was whenever I came across it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I butcher a lot of these character names. Yeah, I shorten pretty much all of yeah. them. Horatio Oliveira is an Argentinian writer who lives in Paris with his mistress, La Maga, surrounded by a loose-knit circle of bohemian friends who call themselves the club a child's death and lamaga's disappearance put an end to his life of empty pleasures and intellectual acrobatics and prompt Oliveira to return to buenos aires where he works by turns as a salesman a keeper of a circus cat which can truly count and an attendant in an insane asylum hopscotch is the dazzling freewheeling account of Oliveira's astonishing adventures I have a problem with uh, the ending, or, or the when the guy that owned the circus decides to sell the circus to buy a, a sane asylum. I mean, who does that, really? <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy was wearing plot armor. <laughs> well, where to begin? Because we begin on different chapters entirely. Because Joe begins... On chapter one. Which you would expect a novel to begin, usually, is chapter one. I, however, began on chapter 73. So why don't we tra- start on chapter 73, since I have no clue what you just read. Would you guys mind just unpacking the back of the book a bit? Because <laughs> I'm still totally confused what this book is about. Yeah, I think a chapter-by-chapter breakdown is going to take a while, because Joe read 56 chapters, and I read 155 chapters. Actually, no, that's not true. I read 154, because there's one chapter I didn't read. Because I didn't have to. But I did have to read one chapter twice. So that was a thing. If you read it the hopscotch way, it, the end of the book loops. And it just kind of goes on in perpetuality. So Alex is still technically reading this book right now as we speak. <laughs> yes. I'll forever be bouncing between chapters uh, 58 and 131. Yeah. So let's start on chapter 73, though. How does it start for you? Uh, so this is more like it doesn't introduce any characters really it's just uh, more of a philosophical thing to set up basically the like a theme in the novel which is the human mind gives things meaning even and without the human mind everything is meaningless essentially and he talks about like how, uh, this little parable about a guy who sat on the street and looked at a like a just a random screw that was on in the road and he stared at it for a long time and like he became like a fixture of the town and when he passed away the screw that he stared at went into a museum so what's normally just like a piece of trash or a discarded piece of equipment gained uh, some level of significance because we as a human race gave it that significance and that was the general theme of the book or the theme of that introductory chapter to kind of set things up so kind of gives you a, a scope of how to look at things that happen throughout the story and how did chapter one start alex well you read chapter one you should know oh well, you read it too uh, so I, I thought chapter one was 
pretty good because it gives us an immediate quest. I think it's essentially Oliveira writing something down in first person, I would say, because the first two chapters in the like chapters one and two are in the first person and the rest of the book is in third person, which pretty cool. Yeah, but he I, uh he immediately gives himself a quest with uh, the opening sentence of would I find La Maga? So he's immediately searching for someone or something named La Maga. Do you know what La Maga means in English? If you translated it? Yeah, did you I look did that not, up? I did not look it up. Okay, because I, I did uh, this morning. I did. And it means the wizard or the magician. Because I kind of read it as because La Maga is a, uh, his female interest through most of the story. And you know, I took it as more as the the whore or the the, the but I guess you, you you can almost put her that way even as the magician. Yeah, she's because of her of uh, a, sexual prowess. Yeah, she's got kind of a spell over a lot of the characters she interacts with due to her great beauty. Let's uh instead of like going chapter by chapter, let's break it down. Like let's talk well, about some of the characters. Well, is, is, I, I just want you know want to see the difference between the. The, how you started versus how I started. Okay. I did have one comment in the beginning of the book that says, I hate you, Adam. <laughs> Is it, again, like Alex said, this book starts off very beautiful prose, but it's almost like a stream of consciousness. And I'm, I started having flashbacks of uh, Finnegan's Wake and trying to get through that behemoth. All I can remember is just reading words on a page that kind of strung together semi-meaningfully, though I couldn't get any meaning out of that book. I, I suggest you read that one, Adam, and then you can discuss it with us. As penance, <laughs> as penance for making us read this book, you should read Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> but yeah, so let's talk about Horatio, since he's our main protagonist. Through this book, I always had difficulty remembering his age, because all the people in this book... Well, except for the the women, we don't really get ages on them, but we assume they're a little bit younger, just with the way they uh, are treated. But Horatio is a 40-something-year-old, between 40 and 45, but he acts like a grad student. Yeah, he acts like a guy in like his early 20s. He's out of school, but he hasn't really like found himself yet. By found himself, I mean like gotten a job. So he just like hangs out in pubs, drinking IPAs, and... Talking about the philosophy textbooks he used to read in, back in his glory days in college. Yeah, and him and all of his little friends try to out-compete each other in wit and knowledge and making obscure references that no one else gets and listening to obscure music that no one else listens to. And Horatio's dating La Maga, and she's like part of that club just by the fact that she's close to him, and they treat her like absolute garbage. Yeah, they, they treat all the women in this kind of shitty yeah, especially Horatio. He, you know, but they just call him stupid and whorish and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like they can't get enough of the women because, oh my goodness, us geeks have uh, attention of the female. Yeah, for some reason, like I don't know, I don't know if uh, Horatio is supposed to be like this author insert or something like that. But he's just this absolute like if I was at a party with him and he started talking to me i would want to leave that party immediately but i i I really want to just punch him in the face for some reason like every woman in this book is like madly in love with him 
Yeah, and, and the women aren't as stupid as they're made out to be. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of like the women are clever, they're very intelligent, well-rounded characters, but like the male characters treat them like I don't know, they're commodities essentially. Especially Lamaga. So it's established early on Lamaga is very in love with Horatio and Horatio does not reciprocate that. Oh, that's, well, he does and he dynamic. doesn't. Whenever he's around her, he wants nothing to do with her. But when as soon as she's not in sight, he obsesses over her, and it, it gets kind of, you know, dis, you know, disgusting with just how much puppy love he has for her when she's not around. Yeah, and that was that was one of the extra chapters. Also, it was like building off of two previous chapters where he's talking about why he doesn't love her, and then then there's like a extra chapter where it's where he like goes just like really direct into why. He, he doesn't love her and it's because he doesn't feel that you know like overwhelming urge that the uh overwhelming desire to always be with this person so like i don't know i, I read that and i made a note like he doesn't really know what love is nope so that that's horatio you have lamaga the the beauty adam's running away it's <sighs> getting a beer always screwing things up there will forever be a soundbite of you closing a door <laughs> <laughs> all right we're back so yeah, Lamaga. Let's talk about her a little bit, since she is the focal point of Horatio's thoughts. She's like his muse. His muse, if he actually yeah. did anything. Yeah, he did. I don't know if he writes very much. Actually, he just works as a writer, but never really describes him writing things. It talks about him hanging out with his buddies, arguing philosophy a lot. But yeah, she and she has a child that he does not like. Oh, what's the child's name? A Rakumador. Rakumador. Yeah, so I called him Rack. So there's already like tension between Horatio and Lamaga, who's uh we only get her real name a few times. Her real name is Lucia. There's some tension between them because for a number of reasons. Number one is there's some unrequited love there, unrequited feelings or unexplored feelings between the two. There you have a friend named Gregorovius who's madly in love with Lamaga, but Lamaga doesn't love him, so they got a bit of love triangle going. And, and Horatio is completely jealous of her attention to him, even though it's just as friends. Yeah, he's like really jealous and possessive of her. It's kind of kind of sad. And then also, she has to take care of her infant son, Rakumador, who, during the no- course of the novel, like, takes sick, and she has to like give him her full attention, which... He- Oh, Horatio was also made extremely jealous by. Yeah, those toddlers, man. They just steal your women away. I wouldn't know. I don't, I don't have kids. I have two. <laughs> Adam gets it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have my own microphone, so <laughs> I'm just kind of sitting here. I think we should isolate everything Adam says <laughs> and just release that as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that works. So I so, guess... I don't know if you want to just like let's whiz through a couple more of the characters from the okay. club. You know, Sorry. you know, say we have Gregorvorus. All these people come from money, so they don't need to work. Or if they do work, it's menial jobs where they don't do very much and have lots of time to read and listen to music and drink and just hang out with each other. They live in cruddy apartments or in bad parts of town in Paris. They have who? Who's the? Who's a couple of other people in the group there, Alex? Yeah, uh, we Wong. have Et, yeah Wong, Etienne, and then is it Raymond and Babs? Yeah, Babs. Babs might be the only person, the only female character that Horatio does not try to sleep with. 
Yeah, that's only because she never leaves uh, her boyfriend's side. Really, like, I didn't get much out of Wong, Babs, Raymond, or uh, Etienne. No, they're they're just kind of there. Gregor Rovius is really the most important one, which uh, in Chapter 65, they really get in into his character they do full like club it's called sample entry from club files and they just uh they his uh his favorite kinds of dress his favorite foods where he's from and things like that and then it devolves into his backstory of calling his mother a whore for like a page and a half then it starts going into that love triangle basically horatio's thoughts on uh, gregor burris which Gregor Ovius, he's like a he's like this like sweetheart like burning bleeding heart guy, but also when he gets faced with actual problems and stuff, he caves as well. As yeah, everyone else does. And then who's the uh, the mistress? Because in my version, she just kind of gets mentioned, and it's very just where did this come from? Yeah. So Horatio also has a side piece named Pola, who uh, yeah he sees. In addition to Lamaga, they all—it's all like an open relationship. They—they they all know about each other. One thing that the extra chapters kind of flesh out is that Horatio dumps Pola, and right around the time that she gets diagnosed with cancer, so there, there's this whole debate of whether he dumped her because she had cancer. Yeah, and then uh, you get a bit where Lamaga's talking about how she had made a voodoo doll, essentially, and put pins in the breasts and Horatio stomped on the doll and pushed the pins all the way in and that's what killed her but it was never quite clear if she actually died from the breast cancer yeah it just has her getting left yeah it's oh. just it a lot a lot of stuff that just kind of gets left out where you're just led to wonder and a lot of unreliable narratives going around so let's get into a second sentence from the back of the book. A child's death and Lamaga's disappearance put an end to his life of empty pleasures and intellectual acrobatics. Yeah, so th- we're going to get into the, the main stick of the part one here of what breaks up the club and sends Horatio running. So, Lamaga's son Rakumador is sick. This leads to tension between Horatio and Lamaga because Horatio doesn't want Rakumador there. He wants Lamaga to himself. Quick question. Go ahead. <laughs> Is Horatio the father of this raccoon character? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he is not. No, and he didn't even know about this child when he first started dating Lamaga because Lamaga had... It was kind of unclear if she gave it up or put it, the child into a boarding school of sorts where she did not have to care for the child until the child became sick. She just had weekend visits. And then the, so the child became sick and they kicked the kid out and she had to get him better before he could go back, which she did not do. Yeah, so Rakumador is sick, and he gets progressively sick throughout the first half of the book. And the sicker he gets, the more time Lamaga spends. It leads to somewhat of a separation between Horatio and her. Horatio basically says, me or the kid, and then he leaves. And at the same time, he's accusing her of having an affair with uh, Grigovaris. Yeah, so he yeah he returns to the apartment, and this is where a lot of the action happens in the story. This is like the huge kind of catalyst that breaks them all up. So uh, Gregor Rovius is hanging out with Lamaga in the apartment, and the kid is sick. They get the kid to go to sleep. Horatio comes back. He sees Lamaga and Gregor Rovius talking. He assumes they've just slept together. And because he just assumes that for everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, he thinks with his dick more than his head. That's a good way of putting it. 
and then so they're just kind of sitting around t- chatting a little bit there's a the whole time there's a neighbor who's like stomping on the floor above them kind of creating a lot of noise and kind of adds to the chaos of the whole thing and they, Horatio, got, they got music playing yeah they're all smoking yeah and Horatio he like gets up and he he's like getting a drink or something and he's like he walks by the sleeping kid he like touches his head and he realizes the kid has died but instead of saying hey the kid just died we need to do something he goes back to his seat and yeah, carries on the conversation that they're having like nothing's yeah. happened and then the next time they can get yeah he uh, sends he sends the maga up to deal with the guy who's stomping on the floor and he shows gregorovius gregorovius who's madly in love with the maga the only person who calls her by her real name in the book he shows her the dead. He shows him the dead kid, and he also does not tell her. That the kid they, they just go back, and then a bunch of their friends from the club show up, and they slowly pass the word around to all of them, while Lamaga just sits completely oblivious until she has to get wake the kid up to give him his medicine. Then, as soon as she does that, everyone flees except for Babs. Yeah, once she finds out the kid has died, yeah, everyone leaves, gets up and leaves. So was it was this the same for both of you? Yes. Yes. This is just how the story starts. This is uh, what's chapter twenty eight like about a co- for me it was probably about a quarter of the way through the book. For you it's probably about Closer the halfway point. Third half, yeah. And uh, this for uh, my end, this is the uh, longest break from the main narrative that there is because after that whole scene happens, there's about twelve chapters in the extra chapters section where Horatio does a lot of introspective stuff. He uh, gets into his relationship with Pola. He's, there's a writer he admires that's uh, only mentioned a couple times in the main narrative called Morelli, where he meets, there's a section where he meets Morelli and he organizes his paperwork for him. And there's another thing where he's like talking to his friend Etienne about a dream he had about bread, which I couldn't even begin to unpack, but... That's that's okay. I, I wish I had more time to look into why is he dreaming about bread all the time. But then it comes back, and when it comes back, Lamaga has disappeared. There's been a wake and a funeral for the kid. Yeah, Horatio just disappeared himself and had been avoiding her the whole time. So he, he kind of comes, you know, and the rest of the club had stuck around, at least for the, the funeral, and helped, and Gregor Boris helped Lamaga leave, and she gave him Horatio's apartment for helping her and she just kind of disappears and no one knows what happened to her there's rumors of her committing suicide of going to a couple of different cities and different countries and horatio goes kind of crazy looking for her yeah he start he starts showing signs of some mental instability he makes a really poor decision with a homeless woman you said that was one of your favorite parts so yeah that, well so there, there's two two different scenes the, the scene before the, the, the baby dies where he's walking around with a crazied pianist who he tries to sleep with half-heartedly and she freaks out and they're because they had been roaming around in the the rain of paris for i read hours. that as it was like a misunderstanding between the two and like he didn't want to sleep with her he was just asking her if he wanted well, want him to well, come he, to her apartment I, th- I took it as he's He's disgusted by the thought, but at the same time, he wants to do it just because it, he has he's feeling something, and he's been going so long without feeling anything. And he, he's like, you know what? It's going to be disgusting and wrong and gross, but if she if she opens up, I'll take that advantage. And then he innocently tells her, yeah, we can go up to your place and have some wine or whatever. And she ha- freaks out, thinking that he's actually 
making an attempt on her. Or no, he wanted to take her to a hotel. And she starts beating him, saying... And she slaps him. Yeah. Slaps the shit out of him. And he runs away crying. Yeah. Like a real man. But but then uh, after he comes back to find Lamaga, Lamaga gone, he goes on a bender with cheap wine, finds a homeless prostitute. Gives across the street from him. Yeah, gives her bottles and bottles of wine until they're both completely sloshed. And then to repay him for the wine, she gives him a blowjob until the cops show up and arrest them all. And that's basically, for me, the, anyways, the end of part one. Yep, that's the same as part one for me. Uh, the last chapter feeds into the first chapter of part two, where we get a whole new setting and a whole new cast of characters. Quick question. I thought it was the homeless person that he wanted to bring up to the hotel room. Was it someone else? Uh, yeah, there, so he said it come out two different scenes. So when he, like, uh, so I think your order, my order might be different than yours, but so when he meets the pianist lady that's before he goes back to the hotel and find or goes back to his room and finds the kid dead that's correct um and then the homeless lady is after lamagas disappeared and he's gone on his bender and he's just hanging out with the homeless lady across the street from him and uh yeah, and then they go to have some oral sex and some a little fellatio and then they are rudely interrupted Yep, but that kind of inspires him to return to his homeland of Argentina. Yeah, it, it sounds like he was getting cut off. Basically, his brother it sounded like was supporting him. That's what I kind of grab gather from it. He had a bit where he's this weird chapter where he's writing to Lamaga supposedly where he was in Spain for a while before he went back to Argentina. It was, it was a weird chapter. That was a tough one to get through. It was uh, every other line was a you know there, there's two different stories going on and. You had to read every other line to get one story, and then go to the opposite lines to get the other story. It, you know, it was just, it was very tough to to understand what was going on. Yeah, this book's not an easy read. I don't no. Feel that, but. no, but yeah, so he goes back to Argentina, and he immediately runs into his childhood friend, Traveler, Traveler, or as I called him, Trav, because he's a four-letter yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. So this is part two of the story. Yeah, we're into part two. We're in yeah, part we're into two. part two. Okay, so just for part one, all that really happened is, what's her name? Lamaga. Lamaga. She has an infant son who died, and Hiroshio doesn't really like her, but she loves him, and that's about it, <laughs> right? Yeah, and like... A, a lot of words to describe yeah. very little. And there's a lot of character interaction, a lot of philosophical debate between all the characters, and it's kind of funny, like, there's hundreds of pages leading up to this event and they've had all these big talks about all these lofty ideals and things like that and then just real life just comes in and like shatters all those ideals yeah again it's you're reading this and you're picturing a bunch of post-grads grads and undergrads in philosophy who are some cross between socialists communists anarchists and just perpetual students you know, all debating philosophy but then you get reminded, no, these are 40-year-olds that have never grown up, which just kind of makes it all kind of the more pathetic. Well, yeah, so we, we meet Traveler and Talita, a Traveler's wife, who kind of, sort of, not really looks like Lamaga. She has a strong resemblance to her. But at the same time, she doesn't, as he keeps pointing out. It's more him imposing Lamaga's image on her. Yeah, uh, so... 
early on after his return, like he's hanging out with his friends, he's kind of living with them. Uh, he's also got a new girlfriend, Gek Repton. Yeah, who was uh, the other woman, Senora? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, it was close. Their na- names are similar. It almost seemed like he was sleeping with her too, as occasionally. He probably was. But yeah, he you know he immediately starts bumming off this other woman for a place to live while he's not really working. He tries to make it as a salesman selling clothing, or not clothing, uh, cloth, you know, high end cloth that doesn't really go anywhere. His buddy traveler, who works for the circus, you know, ends up getting him a job as the keeper of a cat that can count. Yeah, and they, it's a, kind of a quirky little thing. Um, I didn't really get much out of the counting cat. No, it was just kind of one of those weird things that we need something weird, so here's something weird. What I didn't get was, you know, travelers a lot like Horatio, and they they, they talk about a lot of how they're kind of doppelgangers and their attitudes, but one's gone crazy, one's become stable and trying to provide for his wife. But what I thought was kind of hilarious, or not hilarious, but just strange is Talita is a pharmacist but she left her job because Traveler wanted to be in the circus and it's like they're struggling financially constantly even though she has a had a career where they could have been living fairly comfortably that is hilarious it's just you know it's like you know, again one of those things are what they couldn't handle the woman making more than the guy so he forced her to take a different job and gender roles definitely play a lot of uh, play a lot into this story. I mean, once she once they go into the insane asylum and she becomes the pharmacist there, and everyone's coming, yeah, she's like alive again, where she's actually having to use her head and she's happy all of a sudden. How could that be? And it's just like, well, because you had her minding a cat mm-hmm. versus actually doing the thing that she went to school for. Yeah, she starts to flourish. Can we step back a minute and sure. talk about the counting, counting cat? Yeah. What was the point of the counting cat? It was a uh, circus attraction that Horatio was in charge of. Tilita was in charge of it. And then when they got Horatio the job, he took charge and Tilita became the accountant for the circus. The fact that it's mentioned in the back of the book kind of does the book a disservice. How exactly does the cat count? <laughs> uh, they, they have cards, and on the backs of the cards, they put essentially catnip on the cards so that the cat looks like it can count. Yeah, it's just a circus act. Smoke uh, I, and mirrors. I, 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 guess, I guess the cat got lucky initially and actually could count you know, or look like it was counting. And then they brought it to the circus and showed it, and then they expanded on it and made it so that the cat would not fail. And then the guy that owns the circus decides to sell the circus, and the guy who buys the circus is just tickled pink by this cat, and he takes the cat. And Horatio is like its body bodyguard, where it's not supposed to be Which, uh, out of uh, eyesight ever, and you see they're afraid they're going to lose the cat. Do you ever uh, talk about a plot device? He sells his circus so that he can buy an insane asylum. He's only really referred to as Boss Man. I think he does have a name, but I don't remember what it is. I could probably find it at some point, but I'm not going to. Boss Man works. Boss Man works. Should the Insane Asylum not be on the back as well? No, the Insane Asylum actually winds up being very important. Because 
throughout this entire time that they're in Argentina, Horatio is slowly going insane. He's doing crazy things like trying to straighten out bent nails. Just because they're there. And he tries to get Talita to cross. They live in different buildings on opposite ends of a street, and they try to get her to cross the, the space by sticking two boards out from the each window and her just trying to walk across them or crawl across them, almost killing her in the process when they realize that the boards are not strong enough to hold her weight. Yeah, so especially after they get the insane asylum, Horatio starts getting very erratic in his behavior. So yeah, he starts, you know, the minor things like that, but then he's also more often mistaking Talita for La Maga. He's... He's obsessing the, over the hopscotch yeah, pattern like, beneath his window, and whenever Toledo walks by it, when she's after she's closing up the pharmacy, he thinks it's Lamaga that's going across the hopscotch, and yeah. he ends up uh, kissing Toledo. Yeah, and this whole time, like he's smoking and drinking way and way more throughout, and that's impacting him, and it all kind of culminates with him having this rivalry with Traveler. Because like they've been described as being so similar, but but you know he wants to take Talita because he actually sort of respects her because she basically she doesn't put up with his bullshit and calls him out on it, and she's whip smart and even though he still tries to claim that she's not as bright as a, a guy any guy could be, but she definitely has him beat in most of his games that he comes up with, and Talita for her part gets kind of confused like she sees this guy who's throwing all this interest her way where she's been with Traveler who just kind of accepts her just kind of there as part of the scenery and so she's kind of confused and then when Horatio finally does kiss her she freaks out runs back to Traveler and says hey this just happened and that kind of triggers Horatio's big full-on mental break he like sets up his room in some sort of like home alone style booby traps and then he tries to fight Traveler because he calls Traveler his doppelganger and like and he's trying he th- to replace him. Yeah, and then he threatens to throw himself out the third story window and kill himself. Yeah. Though I thought, you know, everyone's freaking out over this and I'm like, third story window, he ain't gonna die. He's just gonna <laughs> break a bone maybe. <laughs> and your your version ends with him kind of on that ledge. Yeah, he's on the ledge. He's claiming that like he doesn't really have control over his actions right now, but then he kinda like his final thought as the book ends is like, Maybe I do and maybe I should like, maybe I should choose to jump. But then the story for me continues on from there for another bunch of chapters where it's a, it's some forever. of the... Forever. Sh- <laughs> yeah, forever. For some, it's actually some of the shorter chapters. It's kind of quickly wraps up some people's storylines and some people's storylines go on forever. Where we find out Horatio does not jump. He does, however, wind up in a state of constant delirium where he's kind of just completely lost his mind. So he's in the pink jumpsuit by the end? Yeah, and Talita and Traveler are kind of like his caretakers in the insane asylum, watching after him. So yeah, that's Hopscotch in a nutshell. Does it make you want to read it, or do we just spoil it all for you? Uh, No, it actually sounds quite terrible. Did it differ at all between the two ways of reading it? Well, I mean, yeah. Why, was yours just longer, and Joe's just kind of ended? So, yeah, mine was 200 pages longer. There's he, he got a lot of background information that I was just left hanging with. Pola, where she just appeared and disappeared for me. Alex got a little backstory. Uh, Gregoris, he gets a whole dossier on him. Yeah, we meet, we meet uh, yeah, especially Pola and Morelli. We meet 
those two new characters that don't really exist in the main book outside of a couple of references. We get the a more definite ending. We get a different beginning. And then it's also just a ton of extra philosophical debates. We get actual, like, more direct opinions and perspectives from Horatio. Uh, it, it adds a whole lot there's there's like quotes from other like famous pieces of literature that they that he goes with that tie in with the story yeah there's a lot of references in this book and for someone like me who dabbles in this sort of stuff i got some missed a lot alex i'm sure got a lot more out of it than i did yeah um i'm not gonna lie like i got through part one and i saw how much i had left and recording day was coming up so I, I did, am my slave driver. Yeah, with I did the try and uh, I, I did end liberally. up kind of speed reading part two, but I had I don't know if we want to get into our opinions of the book. I feel like uh, kind of with um, as Adam described it, like all right, so guy, kid dies, goes to Argentina, goes crazy, and I'm like, yep, that all happens in 564 pages. <laughs> so. The story is, like, as the hopscotch version, is really bloated, and it's 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 cool, it's unique. There aren't, it's not like a huge amount of books that are like this. It's the first book I've really ever read that it, it has two different ways to read it, like physically read it. I mean, there's different ways you can always analyze text and look at things, but like changing it up like that, it's very unique. But holy crap, that was a long ass book for what it was. Yeah, I I thought this was a well-crafted book. It was the the translation Alex had pointed out to me when we were discussing it when at, when I finished when we were both both done with part one. And usually translations of books can come out kind of clunky. You lose a lot, but this was yeah, it's uh, one of the better translated texts I've read. Yeah, this felt like it was well crafted in the translation to still have that same flow that the original story probably has in its original language. But I, this isn't the kind of book that I would normally read. While it's probably good that I read these books occasionally, it just it wasn't my cup of tea. It was just a lot of whining, a lot of despicable characters. I haven't read any Nietzsche or uh, Dostoevsky, but I listen to a lot of podcasts where they talk about those two authors and philosophers and their writing and this felt like it was something like out of their kind of realm where you got a lot of heavy dialogue a lot of heavy philosophy but not a whole lot's happening a lot of love interests that the protagonists seem to be unable to attract usually love interests that are with for someone else yeah i mean if you want to relate it to one of those books like crime and punishment is similar in a lot of ways where there's a lot of nothing going on except for philosophical debates and then something happens and it causes a complete shakeup in a guy's psyche. I think Crime and Punishment is a way better book than this one because there's a lot of, he completely changes the way he thinks after he kills somebody essentially. And that's, this one, that's this really, guy, the guy just really goes cool crazy. Yeah, this guy goes crazy. And so, he didn't I mean, even kill, do the killing. He just... I think that's the biggest problem with this book is like there's no redemption, there's no rethinking things he just go it's just kind of straight up 
he gets punished because like he go he almost goes crazy for no particular reason. Maybe you can say it's his guilt over the way he treated Lamaga or the way he's been running his life for you know the first half of it. I I think it was more of a coming to age. He realizes that this kid just died that he screwed up royally and he can't handle the the fact that he needs to be an adult. He's a forty year old man child and. He's realizing that hey, I need to work for a living. I need a. I can't just sit around drinking and smoking all day, talking philosophy with friends. I gotta actually do something with my life, and that's what sends him over the edge. That's kind of my thoughts on it. I got some questions here. If we want to try to answer them, sure. Do you have any more questions, Adam? So aside from being able to read the book different ways, what do you think of the title? Is there some analogy to what he saw on the street with the hopscotch and? Seeing the MAGA. So Hopscotch is kind of a double entendre in the book because the way you physically read the book he's, is described as hopscotching. So that jumping back and forth and also the like hopscotch is kind of, I would say it's like almost a metaphor for Olivier's mind because it gets his mind starts making those jumps, those leaps of logic and like he's trying it gets a little more philosophical I guess but it's it's like him losing his mind and also him trying to balance all of his philosophical ideas throughout the throughout the novel is like a game of hopscotch just trying to jump back and forth and trying to maintain it without falling off balance yeah yeah at times it felt like a little bit of a stretch he was pushing the hopscotch a little too hard towards the end I thought but yeah it, it basically what Alex said. So I got these questions from wordpress.com, the Voyage Out book group. Oh, don't give them credit. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we basically answered the first question, you know, the difference between the two ways of reading. So we'll skip over that one. But uh, the characters in the novel talk to each other a lot. Subjects include, but are not limited to, philosophy, jazz, love, literature, and travel. These talks are either brilliant or pretentious, or both. Are we to take these discussions seriously, or how much of what Cortazar is showing us is satire? I'm going to leave this to you, Alex, because you're kind of, kind of the guru in this um, stuff. I would say it's a lot of satire. Um, I forget what chapter it was. It's one of the extra chapters where he's he's talking about love as an emotion and as a feeling, and then there's like one chapter where he just says, like it's just a list of different metaphors for what love is, kind of like satirizing. Like There's like two chapters in a row about like oh i feel love and this is love for me and then like that extra chapter is like love is a love is a four letter word love is a feeling in your heart love is a battlefield now i'm just making shit up but uh it's a uh, it just kind of parodies that so yeah there's a lot of probably dark satire uh, kind of a send up of that that kind of bohemian lifestyle uh i guess kind of like when we read clockwork orange I would argue he didn't go big enough on that if he's going for a satirical edge, and I think he probably, a lot of those philosophical studies that he puts in there were more like serious discussions, even though the people he created to have those discussions are all this piece of crap. I, I feel that the, the characters are the satire and the, the discussions are serious, almost. Yeah, because, I mean, they're, they're confronted with something that shakes up their beliefs and they're unable to recover from it essentially hey, when the setting changes from france to argentina does the style or tone change as well how does horatio interact in argentina as opposed to france 
I mean, other than the, the, the mania, the, the manic state that he's kind of in, and even when he's quote unquote happy in Argentina, you can see he's, it's more manic happiness, you know, a high that's a low is about to slam into him like a bipolar person. And when he's in France, I mean, I wouldn't argue that he's entirely happy, but he's kind of in control of his life. He's content. Yeah, he's very he, content. Content in his misery, I would say. Whereas when he's in Argentina, yeah, he starts off happy, but he's also, I don't think he has anywhere to go. He hasn't, he's 45 and hasn't found himself yet, and it kind of wrecks him. So there's a, definitely a shift in tone where like a lot of what he's saying begins to lose any of its meaning or people don't take as much value in what he's saying to people because they see this, the cracks starting to form. How does structure guide plot in this book? I was doing some like study on the different ways. The way I read it, it's more, I guess, structure over plot, whereas you might be more plot over structure on your version. So like the structure, I think the hopscotching back and forth, it was like it's really cool. I think it does change up the way the plot happens because, like I said, with the kid dying and then there's this huge break, whereas you, the kid dies and then it goes on to the next scene. So it, it changes up the way information is delivered, which is it's, it's pretty neat. This book never settles on one type of language. Does this imply a love of language in all forms or a distrust of language to show the variety of experience? I think oh, Ava. Ava's weighing in. Like it's, it can be used in different ways. Like the language gets used... Sometimes it's like, you know, like I'm speaking in French because it's his love language. Other times, like in chapter 28, when the kid dies, like they use untranslated French to cause some confusion to the reader and adds to the chaos of the thing. And I mean, there's lots of untranslated passages in the second half of the novel when Horatio's losing his mind. So, yeah, they um, got, I think got it's Spanish or Portuguese or whatever the. They, they might be doing both, I don't know. They. Yeah, they uh, they use a lot of language to kind of confuse or show dissonance. Or just try to hide something, you know, when they're trying to hide from another character who might not understand what they're saying. Yeah. Okay. You have anything else to say, Alex? That's, that's my bit. Uh, yeah, check out Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoyevsky. Great book. This one, I'm... I thought about when I first started reading it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try and read it both ways. But I think I'm good on just the hopscotch way. Interesting read, very unique. Uh, it's, it's just not for me. I'm not a big philosophy guy. Congrats on a monumental achievement, but I'm going to watch from over here from now on. Yeah, I not, so not my, my cup of tea, but if it's your cup of tea, go for it. Read it every way you c possibly can. Adam, you have any last comments? Let me guess. I really don't want to be on this podcast. <laughs> Aside from that, you guys did a great job. I probably you. won't read the book. We can leave both our copies <laughs> for you. Judging from your feedback. Yeah, good job, guys. What's the next book you're going to recommend and not read? Well, my dad's going to be on here talking about the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be hilarious. <laughs> I got some good books that I have read and I would recommend, but I just really don't want to be on a podcast. <laughs> Sounds like we got bonus episodes for forever now. Yeah, Adam's going to be uh, regular, maybe. Next up, we're reading Wool. <laughs> that book sucks. How did Hopscotch compare to the last book you read? Uh, so the last book we read was Nightwatch, right? So. Yeah, that, that's not going to have aired. 
Oh. See, the last one that's going to have aired is going to probably be uh, John Dies at the end. Are you talking about Butcher and the Red? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh so, yeah, so, yeah. so we're, we're a little ahead of the game, Adam. Yeah, we're, you know, we, we recorded yeah. time is all Time is all relative. I mean, so. the last book that is currently posted. Yeah. As uh, as of right now, we have uh, currently posted Butcher in the Wren by Elena Urquhart, and uh, the last one we recorded though was Nightwatch by Terry Pratchett. So we're we're way ahead of the game. Like that was this month, and we're all the way up till November. But um, I would say this is better than that book because uh, it's a little more believable. Yeah, yeah, Butcher in the Wren was just a terrible, terrible, terrible book. Now compared to Nightwatch, I'll take Nightwatch every day of the week. I'll read yeah. that one multiple yeah, Butcher, times. Yeah. Which of the Ren is laughably bad. Yeah. So, this one is, is kind of... Yeah, th- 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 this is high literature. Butcher and Ren is barely legible English. Perfect. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> put, that under, uh, put that under her books now. Yeah. Okay, so if you want to email us, you can at kendallbookworms at gmail.com. We have a website... That will be in the I think description let's, below. Let's reword that, Joe. It's not in, if you want emails, you can't. What's that say? <laughs> Email us at yeah. kendallbookworms.com. Shut up. <laughs> uh, we, Ten reasons why you need to email us right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have an Instagram, at kendallbookworms. We have a website. It will be in the description see what down would, below, since I don't yeah. bother to learn what our website address actually is. If you want to see what we look like. If we were in the Barbie movie, go check it out. Yeah, yeah it is uh, quite fantastic. So, yeah, Alex, get us out of this. This has been Hopscotch. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And you've been listening to... A bonus episode. Of Bookworms. I'm Adam. <laughs> and goodbye.